Welcome to Exceptional Undergrads, a podcast where we explore the tools, actions, and habits of young adults who've achieved exceptional levels of success at a young age. My name is Jack, and I strive to provide listeners with inspiration that can be applied in your own lives, as I believe it is within the capabilities of any young adult to achieve exceptional success at a young age. All resources mentioned in the episode can be found at our show notes page on our website. Now let's jump right in and learn some practical advice from the dorm room next door. Today I welcome Gabe Williams to the show. Gabe is an undergrad at High Point University, majoring in finance with a minor in sales. Gabe is a big advocate for financial literacy and fitness. In this episode, Gabe and I explored insights on how he created a mindset conducive to success, the importance of financial literacy as a college student, putting your oxygen mask on first, the importance of trust in relationships and in business, as well as much, much more. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Gabe Williams. Today I have with me Gabe Williams. Gabe, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me, Jack. Of course. I'm excited. Would you like to start off and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So I'm Gabe Williams um, from a small town called Mason, Michigan, uh, right in the middle of the mountain. And I'm a junior finance major, sales minor here at High Point University. Um, I'm really passionate about financial literacy, a big advocate for empathy, and I'm a huge advocate for fitness and uh, healthy well-being. So that's just a little bit about me, just to give you a little gist, but I'm sure we'll get more into that. All right, this is a quote that I have actually from you last year that you told me. Oh, boy. (laughs) Switching your habits but not your mindset is like cleaning your entire room and not making your bed. In your opinion, how important is mindset when it comes to setting setting yourself up for success? I think mindset is one of the most important things that you're able to control. There's a lot of external factors that you're not able to control. And so those are the type of things you don't want to worry about. But mindset is one of those things where you are able to conquer your own mind, whatever you set your mind to. And you are a great example of this. You say that you're going to do something. You have to trust in yourself and commit to that statement to do it. And you're, that's going to produce a lot of self-efficacy in your brain. It's going to fuel your brain. So that quote, which was just kind of funny, um, just kind of goes to show like if you say you're going to do something and you only do it halfway or if you say you're going to have a good mindset, if you say I'm going to start going to the gym, I'm going to start being healthy and then you're having a cheat meal every two days, are you really making that mindset change? The answer is no. The mindset change is combining that mindset with the actions. It's not just a verbal. It's not just thinking I'm going to ace this test. It's saying, thinking, how am I going to ace this test? What are the actions that I can take to ace this test? How can I start setting myself up mentally, but also physically to achieve what I want to from my mindset? And so that was something that I really struggled with last year, of course, with all the, the stuff that I went through. And I was in such a bad place. I was in, I had a terrible mindset. I had wanted to change. I had the mindset that I wanted to change. And I wanted to do better, but none of my actions followed that. And so what I needed was a change of an environment. So when I went home over the summer, came back, changed my mindset completely, completely. And that really set me up for success this semester, which is why I started a new job. I'm a, I'm a personal trainer now. Um, had a great interview the other day for an internship for Fidelity in Charlotte. Um, just to name a couple of things, but those are things that I had wanted to do. And instead of just saying, well, I want to do them, but like, I don't know how I want to get there. I took tangible and actual steps to achieve those things. I went out of my way. I sought after my boss. I I had emailed her. I had applied, didn't hear anything. So I went to her boss and said, yeah, I haven't heard back from her. I need you to talk to her. And two minutes later I get an email and she goes, sorry, didn't see your email. Let me, let me, let me see what I can do. And I got the job. So it's just going above and beyond having that mindset, but also at the same time, taking those actions that go with your mindset that are crucial. How would you say that you've cultivated 
a mindset that's conducive to success here in your life now and in college? I would say it's figuring out your goals, figuring out what's fulfilling for you. Uh, obviously, everybody's different. For me specifically, it goes back to empathy and financial literacy. Those are two things that I want to embody in my career. Um, empathy and fitness is more a day-to-day thing. So adjusting my mindset to that. So instead of having it be almost like a job to go to the gym, for me, it's a habit. So it's something that I have to do. It's not something that I dread. It's something that I have, I see it as an opportunity. Like I get to go to the gym, not I have to go to the gym. I get to go to the gym. So changing the way that you think about things that you want to achieve. And like I said, it's going to be different for everybody. Everybody wants to do different things. For you, it's this podcast. For someone else, it might be they want to be really good at sales. They want to be really good at real estate. So they're going to have to switch their mindsets in the sense of what can I do to achieve XYZ in this field, in this specific aspect of my life. For financial literacy, how would you say that you've shifted your mindset to become more financially literate or should I say financially responsible? Mm -hmm. That's something that many people in college kind of struggle with, I'd presume. I think it comes down to seeing the bigger picture. I think especially in college, it's you want to be in the now, which is good, which is good. You want to be in the now. You want to be present in in your current situation. But at the same time, you need to be thinking ahead. And so for me, when I was around 16 or so, uh, especially in middle school, I just had a knack for financial math, which I think has started me kind of down this path. So I've always been someone who wanted to understand how money moved and how I could make money work for me. So for me, it was reading financial literacy books. It was watching YouTube videos. Um, It was doing all sorts of things to just learn more about it, even if it was just a little bit at a time. And the moment I turned 18, applied for a credit card, opened a Roth IRA, um, started setting myself up for financial success later on. So I'm thinking long term. Because at the end of the day, I want to be financially stable, not just for myself, but for my spouse, for my kids, to build generational wealth. And I think that's what a lot of people struggle to see in college because you you want to have fun, but you also need, like, this is a learning opportunity. You're in college to learn, to build your career, to set yourself up for success. So you need to be doing that in more aspect than one. You need to be doing, obviously, education, which is why we're in college. But you need to be doing things outside of that to also set yourself up for success. So for me, that's financial literacy. So that's educating myself and wanting to educate others on how to build your credit score, which credit cards are a scam and which credit cards are you know, better, how to open a retirement account, what's the difference between a 401k and a Roth IRA. Those are things that a lot of people I don't think learn until later on in their life when not it's not too late it's never too late but they learn later on when they could have been setting themselves up since the moment they were 18 so for me i have automatic contributions to my retirement account every month Uh, i personally diversified my retirement account so things like that that i've learned and picked up along the way from reading, from podcasts, from YouTube. This is all out there. Like this isn't this isn't hidden. This isn't this isn't a secret. This is all like public knowledge that a lot of people just don't know where to start. And so that's why I want to educate people on financial literacy. How would you switch your mindset to become more forward thinking? You mentioned multiple goals about how you want to be financially free and set up a good life for your spouse in the future and children. What switched that mentality in your life? 
I think it comes from experience, but also the values that you're instilled with. I grew up, thankfully, that my parents are still together, so I grew up in a very solid family. My family's very close, and so that's something that I've always wanted and always strived for, and especially having three older sisters, I'm the only one in my family that can carry my last name, so it was just something that I had always wanted to be, um, and so like I've always strived to be a good father um, in the sense that like uh, clearly I'm, I'm not a father yet, but I want to embody the values now that I would want as a father. I want to be and instill the values in myself that I would want to instill in my kids because it's not fair for me to go through my life and not be disciplined or not set myself up for financial success and then harp that onto my kids because that's that's not fair to them. Like they didn't ask for that. But if I learn those values now and I understand the importance of them, then I'm more able to teach my kids that. I'm enabled to instill those values into my kids because I myself have had that mindset change and reaped the benefits. So it's not just, hey, here's something good that I, I think would help you. It's here's something that I did. Here's the benefit that it had on not only my life, but your life as my as my child. This is what and this is why I want it for you. This is this is why it's helpful. This is why it'll make you successful. This is how it's gonna set you up for your future. So I think it goes back to seeing that bigger picture, being able to look long-term and make the decisions now to use that almost compound interest on yourself as an investment and reap the benefits later. I had this conversation last night with a couple of my housemates. We, we were really talking about values. We were getting pretty philosophical. And what do they tell you to do when the plane's going down? What do they tell you to do with the oxygen mask? You put on your oxygen mask first. Exactly. They tell you, put your oxygen mask first, then help others. You have to help yourself before you can help others, which I think is a lot of people do not understand. There's a lot of people who just want to dive into something and automatically be telling other people how to do it, but they themselves have not done any of the trials or tribulations of that category or of that particular thing. So I think that's really important. I, I really wanted to just emphasize that before we move on. I love that though. I think that's a huge testament to people who have become successful and being able to teach people stuff. If you haven't gone through the stuff yourself, it's a tough stance for you to be teaching other people because you don't have that stack of undeniable proof, like Alex Ramosi would say. If you don't have that stack of proof that you're building every single day through actions, trying to progress and make your life better by trying new things, if you don't build up that stack of proof that says, I actually have been working on this stuff all the time. I have been going to the gym. I have been meditating. I have been X, Y, Z to say, I actually am the person who I say that I am. It's really tough for you to go out and start speaking and saying stuff. It's, it's hard for other people to trust you and for you to trust yourself. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that stack of proof that you are who you say you are. Exactly. What do you think really motivates you nowadays to strive towards some bigger goals in the future? It's a really good question. So I think being a father for me is, is one of my end goals. I, I think it does, for me personally, provide purpose for my life. However, there's things that are driving me now that give me purpose. And then there's things like that that give me purpose in the future. They give me future purpose. And tying back into conversation I had last night with a couple of my housemates. Yes, I want to be a father. But the whole point of setting myself up for success 
financially and utilizing compound interest and utilizing the knowledge that that I've I've learned over the past couple of years and continue to learn to set myself up for financial freedom is to bless other people, to help other people. I would rather make $2 million, for example, and not really enjoy the job that I have, but be able to provide for my family to live comfortably and be able to bless other people, to be able to give back to my communities, to be able to donate, to be able to give to nonprofits to help other people who are less fortunate than myself. There's a quote in the Bible, and I, I can't quote it for verbatim, but it's essentially, it's harder for a wealthy man to get into heaven than a camel through the eye of a needle. And I think that just ties back to there's a lot of people who have generational wealth who are entitled to that. You know, their their ancestors, their lineage have, have earned that. Someone in their family put in the time, put in the work to build that generational wealth. And they might have missed out on the values that whoever started that generation generational wealth was instilled with, whether good or bad. And I think it's important to delineate the difference between someone who has worked for everything that they own and wants to instill those hardworking values into their kids and someone who was potentially born into money and doesn't understand those values. And that's not to say that there isn't people who are born into money and don't have those values. I know a lot of people, especially here at High Point, who their their parents are well off, a lot more well off than a lot of other people that I know. And they're amazing people because their parents have instilled those values into their kids. But unfortunately, there is kids who might seem pretty stuck up, who their parents are very well off, they've grew up very well off, and they've never heard the word no, or they've never not been able to have an opportunity because their parents had the money for it. And I think that's kind of the difference in the sense of I want to, of course, have financial freedom. I want to make a lot of money. Of course, everybody does. But what I want to do with that money is different. I want to be financially free, but use that ability, use that freedom to help other people and my family, not help myself. Because that's where I find fulfillment. There's no amount of money in the world that I think could give me fulfillment if I wasn't using it to give back to other people, to help other people who are less fortunate or, or need the, the help. Financing somebody that might be close to me that they need an angel investor. You know, they're really, really passionate about the company that they're, they're trying to build. And if I'm able to help them achieve their dream, I'm physically a part of helping someone achieve what th- may be their purpose, which gives me purpose, which gives me fulfillment. That's, that's food for my soul, which at the end of the day, that's what I want to die with. I want to die with a legacy, not die with numbers in my bank account. I feel like that's the difference between a lot of people is there's people that just want to make money to make money to buy private jets and to go to Cabo and Bora Bora and have all these crazy experiences. Experiences are great. I, I've been someone who has transitioned from wanting to have experiences with my friends versus tangible things. I've become a lot less materialistic, but there's a difference still in using your money to have selfish experiences and using your money to have selfless experiences. As I've focused less on trying to impress other people, to care about what other people think, to keep my standard of the technology that I have or the clothes that I'm wearing or things that are can be perceived by other people as like materialism and whatnot, as I've dialed that back and as I've learned from the Alex Becker video of how he is a millionaire and owns nothing, I've realized that relinquishing materialism is extremely powerful. And I think that's something that has fueled my passion in terms of working on this podcast and connecting with other people. 
I agree. I completely agree. I think being able to separate yourself from things and focus more on the spirituality of things and fulfillment as a whole for yourself, like for you as a person and not the things that you wear, the things that you have, the things that you can hold in your hand, but it's the things that are in your head, the things that are in your heart, the things that you're pursuing for yourself and for nobody else. I think those are really influential uh, to say the least. And I, I think those are what separate someone from who's just rich and someone who is wealthy. I love how you said that at the end. I wanted, I was going to immediately contrib- contribute the exact same thought that you said. Diving more into spirit- spirituality, into faith again, and really understanding what you value in life away from materialism is massive. This semester, I started to go to church again for the first time in a while. And I think becoming closer to God through going to church once a week again, which is something that I grew up doing with my family, but not, I, I kind of lost sight of it for a while mm-hmm. to get back in the routine of going to church and actually disciplining myself to go, which is something that I hadn't done in forever. I think that's really brought out more of the sense of spirituality in my life and more fulfillment from smaller things rather than the, I need to purchase things to become happy because that's really only gotten me so far and to be fulfilled in a sense of away from materialism and more spiritually through relationships and experiences with people rather than I need things because I need to spend money just to keep up with other people I think is a really weak mindset to have and it doesn't cultivate success in the areas of life that I would like. Yeah, I think people see money as there's a difference between people seeing money as something to buy other things and seeing money as a tool. Using money as a tool. So using it to make a difference is using it as a tool. Using it as a way to facilitate change and not just a commodity. It's not just to buy things, but it's a way to make other things happen. It's a way to unlock other doors to achieve that spirituality. Using money for the sake of good and to go back in a selfless way is gonna be so much more fulfilling than buying you know, a multi-million dollar mansion. If that's if that's your dream, that's fine. Like if you are to the point where you're fulfilled and you you've always wanted your dream car and if you have the funds to do that and you're still able to provide for your family and give back to your community, go for it. I'm not going to stop you. You're to the point where I wish I was, you know. So in that sense, not buy, buying things is not always an evil thing. I think there's an extent. I think having 12 cars but you hate your life is not the way to live but i think driving a honda civic and loving your life having that car fully paid off but setting yourself up for financial success i feel like that's a way to live that almost goes back to we have a professor here uh dr slater he's my managerial accounting professor and i've talked to him a little bit and talk to him about life and setting myself up for success because he worked for PwC, a big accounting firm, and was making over half a million dollars a year. And he retired in his 30s because the people under him, he, he achieved great success. He, he scaled up the ladder so fast and was at the top and worked for four years and then retired because of what he did at the start. 
while the people below him were laughing at him because of the car he drove while they were driving their Audis. He was laughing back, behind their backs, of course, because he's driving his fully paid-off car that he's had for a decade, and he's saving any penny, every penny. He's living below his means. He's, he's being frugal with his money, not buying unnecessary things to save and to have an emergency fund, to have, you know, just in case. You need at least six months of expenses. That's just a necessity. It's really sad that there's so many Americans who can't afford an emergency $500 expense. So having backup plans like that, but then also living below your means to save money to set yourself up later is something that a lot of people don't do. They don't see that bigger picture. And just to kind of go back to the spirituality of things, I think doing that allows you to be more spiritual later, but also to appreciate not only where you come from, but where you are. I don't, I feel like it's, it's harder to appreciate when you're in a luxury apartment and you're drinking a 500 bottle of wine. Of course it like, yes, you're going to appreciate it, but you're not really going to appreciate where you came from as much, I believe. And it's going to be harder to differentiate that experience because I feel like there's so much more dopamine and serotonin in that because you're, it's so much more luxurious that you're not going to appreciate when someone buys you a $2 card that just says, thank you. So I think being able to separate those things and understand that someone mailing you a card just to say, thank you for an interview or a happy birthday card is more meaningful and has more fulfillment for your soul than some crazy luxurious experience that's selfish. So tying back to the selfish versus selfless actions. I feel like being selfless not only sets you up for success uh, later on in life, by, like you said, helping people, I think you become more successful by helping other people become successful. Uh, I just think it's, there's a difference between someone who only wants to care for themselves and someone who only wants to care for others. I think you need to find that balance between taking care of yourself first, the put your oxygen mask on before you help anyone else and helping other people because yes, helping other people become successful. is going to help you become successful. It's going to bring you joy. You don't get that position of helping other people without going through something yourself to make sure that you have the ability to help other people. And you have to continue to maintain the how can I improve myself before I help other people first, in my opinion. And I think having a routine is crucial. I think that's what makes you so successful and so efficient is your very routine. And I do something similar. I almost wake up I wake up at eight almost every day. Today I slept in a little bit and I woke up and I felt like I wasted my morning and I was frustrated with myself because I didn't forgot to set my alarm and you're just reducing the amount of variables that can really mess up your day by having a routine during the week. I'm eating breakfast at the same time at the same place. I'm eating lunch usually at the same place and I'm, I'm getting dinner from the same place. So I'm just reducing, I'm making those decisions ahead of time in my routine to reduce the amount of decisions I have to make throughout the day. And that's keeping my willpower. We talked about this in my ACE certification class. I'm getting, I'm taking a course to get certified as a personal trainer. And what we talked about in our last session was willpower and how willpower, especially for new clients is hard to come by. And no matter what willpower will diminish, but there are things that you can do to slow that process. And so by having a routine, by 
having to make less decisions throughout the day, you're, you're keeping that residual willpower for those activities that you needed to, for those passion projects, for your schoolwork, for your extracurriculars, whatever, whatever it may be that you're trying to pursue, you need that willpower, you need that drive for those activities. And so by reducing the amount of things that you have to think about throughout the day, you're more enabled to focus on the things that you want to, which I think is crazy beneficial. And so that's why I think separates someone like you and I and other people on this podcast who have been successful in what they're pursuing is I think one commonality is that they have a pretty consistent routine. They're doing things every day, if not every week, if not every month, that is not the same, but is very similar. They're reducing the amount of variables that's in their day, which I think is goes back to almost has a compound effect on people because you're able to have more energy to do the things that you want to do. Routines are massive though, because they set you up with the consistency. Like you said, it removes distractions. It removes variables from your life. Cause I know I'm waking up at this time. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Like for example, for me, like I'm waking up doing some sort of morning routine. I'm doing some work before I have class. I go to class. doesn't matter when the class finishes. I'm going to lift afterwards. Then before 11 or something o'clock, I'm done with everything that I need to do. And I have already finished a whole bunch of stuff. There's no very, like there's no variables thrown at me during the first, whatever, six hours of my day, because I've established this routine that I know this is what I'm doing. And you can even say a little bit more because it's after I work out, it's shower and get ready and then go and eat food like every single day. And I go to the same place pretty much every single day for food right afterwards. It retains your willpower. I, I do think willpower is an interesting thing because you can take things away from yourself to make your will, like to not have to challenge your willpower at all or test it. But being able to still test yourself in small ways to build that willpower and give yourself a few variables just in case to make sure that you're still building this skill of willpower and not only retaining, but increasing the amount of willpower that you have. I think that that's massive in terms of being able to, I think it's massive when it comes to gaining willpower and staying disciplined on the things that you know that you should be doing. Because the last thing you want to have happen is you put in all this work and then as soon as you go out with friends one time and you haven't been eating ice cream at all and you guys go out and you, everyone's getting dessert and you're getting ice cream and you just immediately cave because you have ice cream now. Or people bought, brought something to a party and you haven't done anything you haven't had the stuff in forever, but as soon as it's there, you immediately lose all of the traction that you've had for a while. I think I think a lot of that comes from peer pressure, uh, especially in college. It is very easy to fall victim to peer pressure. And I really liked what you said there about the diet was a great example where Yes, you want to do things to avoid decisions that you know are going to decrease your willpower. You don't have to decide if you want to eat sweets or not if you don't have sweets. But I like what you said about training your willpower to to have the option there, but be conscious about choosing not to take it. Because I think that's pretty profound. Because that's something that we try to instill in our clients who have never lifted before. Is we want to build up their confidence and self-efficacy to be able to go and lift on their own, that they don't need me. They don't need their trainer there to be conscious of making the decision to go to the gym, being health conscious. They don't need that. 
But at the same time, they need to have the willpower to not relapse, which is something we also talk about in trying to train our clients and not to relapse because there's, there's positive negative reinforcement or there's positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, relapse and extinction. And so you don't want your clients to relapse. You don't want them to have a period where they might get really busy and they don't go to the gym for a week. And then the moment that they have time for the gym, they're not thinking about that. So they just relapse. And that can happen to someone who's an avid lifter. That can happen to someone who's a complete beginner lifter. Um, but going back to the peer pressure, I think a lot of people, and I, I fall victim to this as well, is it can happen with drinking. It can happen with whatever it may be. I feel like drinking is a good example for us in college. I think drinking in a social setting is very normalized, which is fine. I think having a drink every now and then is not a bad thing. However, if someone makes a commitment where they don't want to drink or they don't want to go out and their friends are bugging them, they're pushing them to go out, they're, they're handing them a drink, that's, it's hard to say no, but you need to be aware of the people around you who, if you tell them no, that they're not going to keep pushing you because they're your friend. And I think that's what separates someone who is truly your friend and someone who is just kind of like there, who's someone just kind of around. Um, I have no issue with people wanting to have fun, right? But if you make a commitment, you need to stick with that commitment. If you say, I'm not going to drink tonight because I have a test tomorrow and it's Thursday night and your buddies are going out and they're like, come on, like, come on. Like, you know, you have that test tomorrow. Like you've made the conscious decision and you've said to yourself, I have a test. I can't be drinking tonight. And then you fall victim to that peer pressure. You're, you're relapsing. You're letting them take over your willpower and you need to have that willpower to make those tough decisions. Because if you can't make that decision for yourself, who's to say that you're going to be able to make important and crucial decisions for your life or other people's lives in the future. You need to be able to delineate between choosing an action that is just peer pressure, that's a relapse, and something that's going to benefit you. I think it's learning how to say no. Learning how to actually say the word no to people is a tough thing that I'm personally still working on. I find myself telling people maybe all the time. I'm a man of my word to where if I tell people yes, I'll be there. I'll come through. I, I will. I, I, at this point, I genuinely feel I, I do that. I'm, I'm a man of my word. I will come through. I have that trust to people to where if I give them my word, I tell them yes, I'll come through. In the situations where I know I don't want to make this decision and I want to just tell the people no, sometimes I'll, I'll balk and I'll say maybe to not give them a straight sense of no, I, I don't really care. And I think if you just tell them no, I, I can't make it immediately, it saves that feeling of like un untrustworthiness and like saying it, it it hurts like that relationship that you have with people because you didn't you weren't just upfront with what it was i think you build more trust by like you said being delineated in saying either yes or no i would rather do business with someone who's black and white and not someone who's gray i'd rather do business I'd rather have a friend who I know is going to either come through 100% or they're 100% not. It's it's hard because you don't want to lose that trust. You don't want to be you don't want to be someone that they no longer invite because you keep saying no because you have other responsibilities. Right? So it's it's difficult because you have these other responsibilities and and sometimes it's just an availability thing. You don't you, you're just not able to. Like you have other responsibilities, you have other things that you need to get done that take priority which is fine. And you would hope that as someone who is your friend would understand that 
and as someone who is your friend, I, I can absolutely understand that. I know the diligence and the work and time that you put into things. So whenever I hear the word no, I don't, I don't need an excuse from you. I don't need to hear what you're doing because I know that you're not wasting your time. It's not, hey, like, let's go get lunch or hey, let's do this. And then you're like, no, sorry. Like, I just want to finish this episode of TV. Like, then I would be upset, obviously. But I know, like, if, like you said, if you tell me yes, you're going to keep to your word. I know that you're going to pull through. But if you tell me no, then I don't, I don't have to worry. There's still no worry. Versus, like you said, with the maybe, there's a lot of worry. There's a lot of gray area, literally. And it's just not beneficial for either side. And this is what I want to really talk about is trust. So what does trust mean? What does trust look like for you currently, for your future? Elaborate on that for me. I'm curious. So I explained this in another episode when it comes to trust. I think trust boils down to discipline from yourself. So it's telling yourself that you are going to do something and then following through on that thing. It's about holding yourself to that standard and making sure that you establish that trust in yourself, that trustworthiness of keeping your word to yourself. That's what it's about. And that's what trust is. That's what trust is for yourself. That's what discipline is. It's holding yourself to a standard and whatever that standard is, following through and finishing. And once you establish that in yourself and you continue to establish this discipline, this trust and trustworthiness in yourself, that is how you can then have trust and create trust in other people. Give them that trustworthiness. Level up your trustworthiness skill, you should say, to where then I know that I can be trustworthy. I'm trustworthy when it comes to you, to my relationships with other people. It starts with you setting up a trustworthiness in yourself that you work on to where then you can give that to other people because you know if I can stay true to my own word, to myself, I can do that for other people. That's how I view trust nowadays in discipline. I want to hear your thoughts on that as well. So there's a speaker that he'll come here every once in a while. You might recognize him, David Horsehager. Uh, he is a public speaker, but his emphasis is on trust, trust in business. And I remember him because I went to his speaker event and he was making a point and the, the crowd wasn't really warmed up for lack of a better term. And so he needed, he was cracking a joke and he picked on me because he was talking about how you're more successful if you yourself are healthier, if you're, um, you know, you're not consuming a bunch of liquid calories, if you're physically fit, if your mental well-being and your physical well-being are both good, then you're going to be more successful. Again, reducing your variables. And he, he picked on me and he said, you don't, you don't have need to have arms as big as this guy. And, and it was funny. My ego was definitely boosted for sure. But more importantly, his take on trust within business was profound. I would look him up on LinkedIn. Great speaker, great company. Honestly, I wish I could work for the guy maybe one day, but his take on trust was just that without trust, there's really nothing. There's not a relationship without trust. And whether that's a friendship, that's a business partner or a spouse or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, if there's not trust between those two parties, then nothing is able to happen. And for me, that's what trust is. And I agree that trust within yourself is, if not more important, is equally important because you need to, it's, it goes back to mindset. You have to have that mindset where you trust yourself to do the things that you've committed to. If you say you're going to walk a mile, you have to trust that you're going to find a way to walk that mile despite 
thinking, I don't want to do this. You have to trust in yourself that I'm going to do this no matter what. I'm not going to shy away from the things that I set my mind to. I'm going to change my mindset and look at it as a glass half full, not a glass half empty. Not, I don't want to do this more. How am I going to do this? And what I think it boils down to for trust with other people is the trust that you have in yourself is the trust that you need to have with other people. And I'm someone who I give people a hundred percent of my trust until I have reason not to. And then once I lose that trust within that person, if they betray me, if they do me wrong, it is infinitely times harder for me to regain that trust from that person. And this goes both ways. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I've had instances where, you know, I've, I've had to lie to someone for either their own good or, or my own good. Things happen. That's life. But I think it's important to recognize that trust is a commodity and it's not easy to come by, especially once it's lost. It's really, really hard to get back. And I think that's more important than anything is people, I think, sometimes treat trust as a given and it's something that needs to be earned. It's not something that's owed. I don't owe anybody my trust. I don't owe anybody anything. But I have to earn my trust just as much as someone has to earn mine, which I think is important. I liked your point on without trust, there isn't really any sort of relationship with people. And I very big with my family. I love my family. I trust them, all of my relatives and whatnot as well. And the people who I value in my life who are not my family, who are my friends, I have great trust in them. And I say that I have, like I have a, a good bit of friends. Obviously, I, I feel like I, I know a good amount of people. And I think I should I should reword that in the sense where I know a lot of people, but only a few people are really my friends because those are the people who I actually have trust in and who I actually care about. Right. I might know a lot of people, but I can't sit down with a lot of people and talk to them for a long time and have like deep conversations about something that I would need them to like, I need to have confidence in them to be able to trust them to have conversations like that. I only have those types of conversations with certain people because you never know if people are just going to immediately just expose whatever you're telling them about. I think, like you said, that trust needs to be earned as well, and you do that through them showing steps of developing discipline in them, them, themselves because a good example of this would be the friend of yours who says that they're going to keep going to the gym. They started going to the gym at the beginning of the semester, and then now they they've stopped. They haven't kept going to the gym. How am I supposed to trust them with any sort of information that I give them if they don't even trust themselves in their own actions? So I think that's why it comes back to I have to make sure myself first, I can trust myself so I can show other people through my actions that I am a trustworthy person. If I tell myself I have to go to the gym after my class, every single day during the week after my first class, and I stop showing up to the gym after a while, it's going to, I won't have the best relationships with the people who I see in the gym every single day, of course, but those people if they don't see me for a while and then they see me eventually and I start maybe coming every now and then or whatnot, and I'm not consistent with it. And I don't have that trustworthiness showing them through my actions that I am very trustworthy because I'm doing these things to make sure that I'm trustworthy to myself. Those relationships are going to crumble and they won't, they won't trust you as well. I think that's huge. I think, Everything you said there is 100% true, and it goes back to how 
actions speak louder than words. And I mean that in the sense of to yourself and to others. I think the gym is a good example where how am I supposed to trust you on a project or trust you as a business partner when you don't even keep yourself accountable? How am I supposed to keep you accountable if you can't do that yourself? And vice versa, how, how am I going to trust that you're going to keep me accountable if you can't keep yourself accountable? I'm not, if I had a trainer who was training me three days a week and they told me, oh yeah, I don't lift. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I know how to lift. I just don't lift. That's like telling me that you're going to, you're going to sell me a product, but you don't know what the product is. You've never used the product before, but, but I'm selling it to you. I know about it, but I've never used it before. I have no personal experience with it. It's like, I can't trust you. I, I, I can't trust that what you're doing is for the sake of, of my own good, for the sake of your own good. If, if you don't know what you're selling to me, if you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to put that on me, then how am I supposed to take that? There, you can't expect for me to do anything except be hesitant in that sort of situation and say, hold on. I, I, no, I can't trust you. I can't trust you in this situation because you don't even trust yourself. So and that, and I think that's hard for some people to hear, especially when it's someone who you're, you're close to. And, and that was another thing that I struggled with last semester. And you know that better than a lot of people where – I said I was going to do a lot of things, and I didn't do a lot of those things. I did some of them, but there was still a lot of things that I knew I should be doing, and I was telling myself that I should do these things, and I either wouldn't do it or I would do the complete opposite. And I and I wondered why I spiraled out of control, which is why when I took this past summer to recuperate and to utterly change my mindset and started to do the things I was telling myself I would do, and now I wonder why I'm having such a great semester, why I'm so happy, why I'm so optimistic all the time, why I feel like I'm achieving my own personal success is because I'm doing those things. I'm trusting in myself that I'm going to follow through on the things that I want to. And that's what separates someone who's going to be successful and someone who is just going to do what they're told, someone who's not going to be successful, someone who's just going to be a follower and not a leader. And there you have it, folks. We hope you enjoyed another episode of Exceptional Undergrads. If you found inspiration in today's episode, head over to our website, exceptionalundergrads.com, for our show notes and more resources from all of our episodes. We're always looking for new undergrads to showcase in future episodes. If you think or you know someone who is an exceptional undergrad, please visit our website and hit the Apply Here page to fill out the application showcasing your talents. And as always... Stay exceptional.